Hey folks, Ethan here. Doug decided to make my life a little bit interesting this week by not pressing the record button on our audio workstation. Now because of this, we had to use the audio that came from our video live stream. So you're probably going to hear some peaking and stuff like that throughout the episode. We tried to do our best with mixing and mastering it, and Doug and I both apologize. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. <laughs> our producer has this mid-conversation about whether or not we can name an episode car talk or not or whether or not you can trademark slogans trademark words that's what trademarking is words anyway we are not car talk we are switchcast and uh, we do talk about cars that's fun but we're glad to be here with you live tonight and uh here with me uh again is john sabo my friend confidant and uh, another automotive expert consultant by trade just having fun tonight so we're gonna take yeah we're gonna take your questions feel free to comment in the uh flow of wherever you're watching live and we'll do our best to address those questions we have some uh topics we're gonna address tonight porsche news wow hey there an echo for those in the gallery uh the stoddard collection some 90s corvettes and uh the car market of course because it's doing weird things yet again. I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but certainly sure you do. a couple of years ago, everybody was an expert because the market was going up. And when the market goes up, everybody thinks they know what's up. And when it goes down, people forget everything they know and just go crazy. So that's when people rely on experts like me and Sabo. So we're going to try to unpack that a little bit, but not dwell on it either. All right. So... How was your week, Sabo? Pretty damn good. Yeah? Not bad at all. A little busy. Yeah? Yeah, tis the season. Everybody's getting ready for uh, hibernation. Hibernation. Yeah, up up here in Ohio, we have to put our cars away for the winter. It's terrible. They put salt on the roads, and that's bad for them. Bad. Very bad. It's interesting, though, saying that people call all the time, and they'll ask about, you know, like a 20,000-mile 30-year-old Porsche. And they'll say, well, it was registered in Ohio. So it's oh, got to yeah. be a salty car. Like, or can you send me photos of the underside? And I'm like, bro, this car is done 600 miles a year. What do you think people do with their cars in the winter up here? Better than buying a car from a Florida right now. <laughs> right? Those are salty. <laughs> Those are salty. <laughs> Those are really salty. But yeah, to, you know, to expand on that, that's a... Whoop, hello. There's a... That's a conversation I have with many, many people, usually over the phone because they don't live here. You know, mid Midwest people actually, we take primarily take really good care of our cars, put them away, keep them nice, clean. You go to California, you can drive them all the time. They get more used. They get, uh, you know, it's not as much of a holiday as it is for us. Like we can't wait for, say, April 1st, pull the car out, go somewhere. And hopefully the roads are acceptable. So our cars, you know, one of our main concerns is just dead batteries. Right. I wouldn't buy a truck from around here. No. But because those rust out and salt is bad for steel. But a sports car, I'd probably rather buy one from Ohio than from the southwest. I mean, every region has its uh, conditions which are detrimental to a vehicle's condition. But you're right. In California and Florida, people don't necessarily consider care for a car because it's nice outside so they just leave them outside all the time and that's far worse 
and then driving it maybe once or twice with a dusting of salt on the road, especially especially if you power mm-hmm. wash it afterwards. Um, well, speaking of sales, let's jump right into um, the Stoddard Collection auction. So that, that's been a highlight of our month here at Switch Cars as we've been graced, honored, chosen, whatever, to represent about a dozen cars from the late Chuck Stoddard collection. And that auction is going live on Friday on Bring a Trailer, nine of the cars. And we're hosting a big preview event at our shop tomorrow evening. So uh, it's been a lot of preparation. It's only 12 cars, but man, it's it's a lot of work to, to get them done all at once to go through the level of documentation that they have. You know, it's not your average Porsche 911. It's a bunch of really oddball cars with a ton of stuff to learn about them uh, from all the documentation. But um, Chuck Stoddard has quite the legacy. And Sable, I'll, I'll have you give us a little bit of background on, on his impact in the Porsche world and on the car world in general. Sure. Right now? Yes. Let's go? All yeah. Right. It's I, go time. I, I was lucky enough to spend some time with Mr. Stoddard uh, through the years. Um, not a tremendous amount, but I got to spend some really good quality time with him. Um, I mean, he was a pioneer in bringing Porsche over here. I mean, the stuff that, you know, he pulled off with Porsche Corporate um, to, I mean, he, he couldn't get enough inventory. He, you know, he made deals with the motherland. He went over there. He brought, you know, he, there's this one deal that there was no cars for him to bring over. So he made a deal and he bought all of, um, call them the, the secretary cars. Okay. The ones that, you know, they just gave to people that work for Porsche to drive around. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have their cars anymore. They were just brought over. Sure. I mean, he, you know, there's, he had RSRs. Executive demo cars. That sounds yeah, better. That sounds way better. Yeah, sorry. My bad. That's all right. But, uh, Secretary but cars. But I mean, RSRs and 917s and. I mean, Secretary cars sounds like the kind of car that, you know. Boxer. Somebody like Trump would give their secretary to keep them quiet. Yeah. True. Yeah. Chuck Star was a very, very, very nice guy. I got private tour of his collection um spent a lot spent some time with him he went over all the cars with me he showed me he was very very proud of his tools um he had you know from his lathes to his toolboxes to just a very very intelligent gentleman knew exactly what he was doing he was a he was a mit, MIT engineer yeah, yeah. MIT so engineer. he was not just your average car dealer he would restore his own cars build his engines mm-hmm. i've been pouring through the spec sheets of the cars that he worked on himself and restored himself. And he's taking notes on, you know, the cam duration and mm-hmm. the bore measurements and calculating himself, the compression ratio and the horsepower manually. Unbelievable. I- I've never seen anything like it. I think it seemed like he was most proud of is he had a, a lathe that he bought brand new in 1946. Wow. And it, he had the bill of sale to the lathe that he showed me from 1946. I mean, and then, you know, he made me use it. He, you know, he wanted you to get hands-on fantastic experience. I was very, very lucky to, you know, been able to meet him and spend time with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He certainly has impacted a lot of people around the world. And that's evident from the response we're getting from announcing this collection. Of course, uh, it's 
mostly the uh, more oddball stuff. So he had, I think, over 30 different brands at one time or another in his franchise. Um, so he's got a, a very, I guess you could say, oddball collection of cars. He's got BMW Isetta and a 600 limousine, a 700 Sport Coupe, and a 39 Studebaker Express and some Mini Coopers and all across the board, some really neat stuff. Fiat 600 Multipla, Abarth 750, Record Monza. But, of course, everybody's asking about me. What about the Porsches? And mm-hmm. he had a collection that would rival the most significant Porsche collections in the world, but he was very private about them. Um, he didn't give tours. He didn't. There was a screening process. There was no, sure. <laughs> no social media. The 917 is fairly well-known around because it was the only one purchased as a body in white from Porsche, correct? It was not as, as a race car. And it was, was kind of resided yeah, he bought a brand under a tarp at his dealership. Yeah. I mean, he he used it, too. Yeah. I mean, he took it to tracks and drove it, and there's lots of lots of stories about that. I mean, that's where that car should be. A 917 doesn't see a racetrack. would be a shame. <laughs> yeah, the only one not with official racing history, though, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, while that one is staying within the family, as it should, I think, um, I know a lot of people want to add it to their collection, yeah. but he had me raise the engine bonnet and he's like, you know, how heavy do you think this is? I was like, I have no idea. This is either gonna be the lightest thing in the world or it's gonna be tough to lift. And it was, it was really cool. I mean, a little, little, little floppy, you know, but you know, you had to pick it up. You had to use both hands to lift that. Thing. Hmm. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. I was like, I didn't really want to touch it. I was like, he's like, do you want to lift up the bottom? I'm like, not really. <laughs> But he's like, no, do it. I'm like, okay, okay. I'd, I'd be scared to do that. Um, all those cars will be going live on Bring a Trailer on Friday. No reserve. That's right. Not a single reserve. No shill bidding. No proxy bidding. No games. Just high bid wins. Fair playing field for everybody. Now, uh, Bring a Trailer is not the only place to sell a car. I think maybe uh, the people at Bring a Trailer would like to think that they are, or at least the best. Um, but they have the lion's share of the market within the auction sphere, or at least the online auction sphere. I, I won't even say that they've they've got far more volume than any of the the heavy hitter. They've cornered it pretty good. Um, RM, uh, Gooding, any of those. But they guys. have like what five hundred fifty cars a week. Yeah, hundred basically a hundred cars a day. Um, so we've chosen them for the, the starter collections. We thought that would be the best audience, uh, both for their ability to attract buyers for really unique cars from around the globe. Uh, and also just the sheer, uh, mass of, of eyes that will be on that collection, which is important in a no reserve auction. But another auction that was making waves earlier this year was Broad Arrow Auctions. They seemed to come out of nowhere and had really, really impressive consignment lists, and they went, then they were bought out for a large sum of money by Haggerty, which is trying to take over the automotive world. Haggerty bought, bought Broad Arrow? Yes. I think it was $100 million bucks. It was before the Monterey event. Yeah, that was a lot of RM guys that went rogue, right? I think so, yes. So they had a lot of connections, uh, and they... They went big really fast. Uh, we're still waiting for our buyout from Haggerty, but I guess we'll keep waiting. You didn't get one yet? Not yet. Not mm. yet. They have not made a multi-million dollar offer for Switchcast just yet. But 
We're working on that. Um, you might have to show a little skin, bro. <laughs> I haven't I haven't shaved my chest this week. Um, so Haggerty just announced. I don't know if you've even seen this yet. It was this afternoon that they are now rebranding as Haggerty Marketplace. So Haggerty has their that. own auction place. Saw that coming. Yeah, we saw that coming. But my thought is, right, so I not that Bring a Trailer should be the only place to go, right? There should be competition. People need other alternatives. But we recently bought a house, and it wasn't easy, but in a sense it was easy because you go to any of the listing sites, they all pull from the MLS, and it's a centralized listing service whereby every house other than FISBOs who decide not to list on the MLS gets shown to you so like you're not going to miss a house but we've got 15 to 20 different online auction sites another five major uh just regular listing sites and then probably 50 plus minor listing sites you've got facebook marketplace you've got craigslist you've got all these different places to search like how in the world are you supposed to find a car? You like, used to be able to buy a house on eBay. <laughs> the, the Christmas Michael story, Scott sold the, his the condo Christmas on eBay. story house was bought on eBay. Really? Mm-hmm. How much? I don't remember, but it wasn't a lot. What was eBay's fee on that? Was it like a flat two hundred dollar fee? Or I just remember I remember seeing it after the fact. Huh? They, they advertised it and they put an auction on. I've, probably might have to buy it now for all i know but i mean that was that's because then those people bought it and turned it into like an amusement park or a, a yeah tourist attraction tourist attraction yeah not yeah. An amusement park there's no, no the, the uh, there. amusement park would be more like the um home alone house that would be a good amusement park <laughs> what why is that funny you could do like a ride from the zip line out to the tree and have yeah. i mean maybe a haunted house my house has bicycles, cars, <laughs> you know, scooter maybe. Uh, anyway, so like I, I don't, I believe in the free market, but I struggle with the inefficiencies of finding cars because there's literally innumerable places you can let, look. The Ferrari market letter, PCA.org, the classifieds, Renlist classifieds, Ferrari chat, like every single forum marketplace and i know a lot of people cross post but a lot of them don't like how in the i I don't know is there a solution to that no i think ed bullion's got one for you (laughs) auto tempest (laughs) well auto tempest one they're not a sponsor so (laughs) i'm not gonna give them props but two they only search like six sites and it's like they do it okay, but you still for like Auto Trader, you have to open up a new window, and it's not like a, a centralized, organized search. You have like three sites that are all in one. It opens up a million windows. And then browser. for Craigslist, yeah, you have to open up a million windows. Then Auto Trader is a separate window. Then eBay is a separate window. So it's still multiple searches. Does anybody still use Craigslist? Yeah. Because, I mean, I thought Facebook Marketplace kind of put a beating on that. Craigslist is, is better than Marketplace. I, I always thought it was possible. Better. I don't really use Facebook Marketplace because the trolls are brutal. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, trolls are brutal and bring a trailer. We we bought a car off of Craigslist recently. We had one. This was the beauty of Craigslist. Last year, some guy posted a car on Craigslist, and it was basically like an auction. So he posted it, and he just said, like, the highest offer I get in the next 48 hours will buy the car. And we're the only person to make him an offer because nobody used Craigslist. What did you offer? Five bucks? <laughs> it was like 11 grand or something. I, I, I don't even remember what it was. I just remember that that was how he chose to market it on Craigslist. Well, the good thing about Craigslist was you didn't have professional trolls like you do in Bring a Trailer. No, you just had a crap ton of scammers. Oh, yeah. There's no pic. There's barely a picture. It was like DOS. <laughs> <laughs> and you need to take somebody with you to make sure you don't get shot. Yeah. You got to meet at a Walmart parking lot. Yeah. In your so RV. That's no joke, right? So yeah. there was the guy that posted uh, jobs at his farm in eastern Ohio a number of years ago on Craigslist. And he killed a few people because they came to the farm for a job and he would snipe them out of his house. What? You want to work? I had never heard of Die. that. You've never no. heard of that? No. no. I never heard of that either. Apparently you don't watch Craigslist. Vin Wiki enough because that was the intro to one of my Vin Wiki stories. Don't watch your Vin Wiki <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Neither do I. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Vinwick. Wait, no, it isn't. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Facebook Marketplace, somebody posted <laughs> somebody posted a satirical for sale post, which is friggin' awesome. You'll get a kick out of this, Sabo. Tell me when you know that this is this is not a real post. One owner, nineteen eighty three. Corvette C3.5. <laughs> Tell us why. 83 Corvette only existed in prototype only, and there's like one and a half left in existence. Yeah. Did you? Oh, the one is down at, uh, it's at the museum. The Corvette Museum, yeah, along right. with the C5R like reproduction yeah. car that I want to yeah. see. The, no, that's like an actual like Chevy, or whoever made the C5R race car made a street version because I thought they were going to have to homologate it. Oh, yeah. so it is a, like a it's prototype a real, thing. Like what yeah. these the nine eleven GT one of Corvette C five. That Corvette much. is it's best so Corvette. Cool. Yeah, they um Yeah, was wait, wait. I lost my train. Corvette, nineteen eighty three oh, yeah. Corvette. The other half point one and a half left according to Okay. Yeah, you know, there's probably some in somebody's one in somebody's garage somewhere that'll come out and end up at Bear Jackson, but when you used to walk into the factory there was a Corvette that was on the side of the right above you when you walked in. It was a half, but they updated every year with the bumpers, the wheels, whatever. But that was half of an 83 vet. And they still have it. I, when I was last time I was at the museum, I asked. I'm like, where's the half from the entrance? And they go, oh, it's in our storage at the museum. I'm like, bring it out, man. Yeah, just like but, put that on the side of the building. That's cool. No, I mean, not outside, but. So it was half like long ways, like hot dog style, not like hamburger <laughs> style down the middle. Boom, stuck <laughs> against the wall. That's For cool. those of you listening, imagine me raising my two hands. And pushing against the wall. <laughs> nope. <laughs> what? The way you raise your two hands, you could have also been doing other things. But um, what would I be doing, Dougie? I don't know. Mm. No, we're talking about Corvettes here. Corvette right, Museum. Corvettes. Okay. If so you'd like to see the, uh, hold on, I got one more plug. If you'd like to see the Callaway Sledgehammer, it is will be on display at the Corvette Museum for the next six months. Oh, really? It will be arriving uh, this weekend. I think it's time for a pilgrimage. Between the Sledgehammer, the C5R street version, 
I was, I was about to call it a Strassen version, but it's a friggin' American car. Uh, and the 83 prototype C4. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate thing is when we did this last time to Rhode Island, there was other stuff to do. I've been by the Corvette Museum four times. Bourbon Trail, bro. Oh, yeah. No oh, kidding. Never mind. What am I talking about? The, as you will. Mr. Bourbon snob over there. Come on. We'll drop you I'm off. I'm so ashamed. And then you just keep going to Nashville. Okay. Well, while we're on the Corvette thing, I, w- I will come back to this, but while we're on the Corvette thing, so Tyler reminded us of the, the C5R street version. All right. So it was essentially a homologated C5 race car. We have another C5 homologation car here, which is a Callaway C12. We also happen to have a Mallet 435 and a Lingenfelter 383. So those are basically like the big three of Corvette tuners in the 90s. One of the three has been driven harder than the other two. (laughs) I can attest to that. But Sabo, you worked for Mallet in the late 90s. I did. Talk to us a little bit about... So we're kind of doing like a 20-year-old car comparo, right? So we, we literally have the big three that a car magazine would have pit, pit against each other back in the day to compare them and say, okay, why would you buy a Callaway C12 versus a Mallet 435 versus a Lingenfelter 383? Mm-hmm. I mean, What's the difference? Well, let me just say this. When I, in the 90s, I, I went to Baldwin-Wallace College, and obviously I had to pay for college. Um, but... I found, I walked into Mallet one day and I was like, I'm a big Corvette guy. Are you hiring? And of course, like any other probably 19 year old kid, they're like, no. And they, they, uh, Lance Mallet's like, well, let me give you a, let's talk Corvettes for a minute. And actually, these guys knew their stuff. I mean, the stuff that they worked on was second to none. They, the knowledge was amazing. And I actually got all the questions right and called them out on one. And they actually admitted they were wrong. And we made a nice little thing. And I ended up working there for probably a year and a half. It wasn't, I was a shop rat. I didn't do anything super important in the grand scheme of the business. But Somebody once told me you worked there for three days because you couldn't cut it. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> we won't say who that was. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the person you're saying, I was a college student. I did go to school during the day. To the, much to their dismay, but yeah, I did go to school. Um, but no, I, I, it was about a year and a half, and I mean, I wouldn't take it back. I mean, the stuff I got to see, the experiences I got, I mean, I, it was... You got to do the Cannonball one lap with them, right? I, no, I was... I, I tagged along in the chase car. That's yeah. getting to Not do it. Not for the whole thing. Sure. But yes, in a but suburban... you got to experience yeah. it as a, a college kid. Yeah, Chuck That's Mallet. That's pretty cool. Chuck Mallet and Jim Miniker were the drivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miniker was a factory... Chevrolet, you know, race car driver. I mean, cool guy. I mean, the guy just didn't know how to do anything but fast. And Chuck Mallett was a, you know, talented driver himself also. Sure. But yeah, it's, I got, be surrounded, I got, I got to meet, you know, a lot of really, really, really influential people in sports car world through that year and a half that I was there. And, you know, and I always said I wanted one. I always wanted a Mallet Corvette just because it's part of my history. And, Mm. you know, the black one, you know, it's inventory. It's definitely not mine. But it it was cool to have it, have it in my possession for a moment. I remember I was in high school when you were in college. Not even, eh, maybe, yeah. But anyway, I, I remember reading about the Mallet 435 in one or another automotive publication. And when we were taking 
my sister to college in Nyack, New York, one came up behind us and I could see it coming for, I don't yeah. know how far. And as a kid, I knew more about cars than I do now. I could recognize a car by the corner of the headlight. And I knew, I was like, that's a Mallet 435. I read about this car. Mm-hmm. And I took a piece of paper and my notebook or whatever I had and wrote out, nice Mallet 435 and held it out the window as he passed us. <laughs> and that dude looked at you with a gaze. <laughs> but but to, answer your other, to answer your other question, though, but, like, if you ask me which one's what, the Mallet was like the, it was the all-around package. It still resembled a you know a normal Corvette, mm-hmm. but it had you know Penske remote reservoir shocks. It had the 435 was a you know very very nicely built motor with a very linear power curve. You can you know autocross it, track day it, drive it cross country, do whatever you wanted. Um, you know they just did everything. It was all form and function. Yeah, I mean it was if you wanted one car to compete with all the world's supercars at the time, the Mallet Corvette would be tough to beat. It was mm-hmm. still expensive. I mean. They were, I think the Mallet, just the 435 motor package was like 38000 I believe. Wow. I mean, it was expensive. I mean, there was more to it than just the motor. You know, you got more with that package, but it was an expensive Corvette. Right. I like, mean, that's that's the price of a Corvette at that time. The black one, I think, was somewhere in the 90s. Like a done, which was, it was built for a- 20 years ago. Yeah, a that's, member of the Pittsburgh uh, Penguins. Gotcha. Hence why I think it's gold. You know, the, the gold fixies, yeah. yeah. But the the Lingenfelter may always made the most power. Like when you went to the drag strip, the Lingenfelter always won. I'm hoping that's true because I have the Lingenfelter. Yeah. And we we dyno the Callaway C12, which is also a 383 stroker. I think they're all 383 strokers. Um, we dyno the Callaway a few weeks ago, and it came out at 370 to the wheels, which is a little bit light given mm-hmm. that they claimed 440 crank. Um, there was a lot of rumors in the contest though that. The Lingenfelters were a little juiced. Just, In what you know, way? Yeah, they were a little hotter than they were proclaimed. Gotcha. Again, I'm okay I, with I, that. I don't know. I'm just. I don't have any proof of just that. Means but coming to the John was a better engine builder than Chuck, right? I was going to say that. <laughs> 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 that might be a little, little different tune, a little race cast at the bottom of the tank, maybe. Well, but fine, but that's okay. What we call so baits, let's. That's why we're gonna. That's why we're gonna find this out. So I'm taking the mallet. And the Lingenfelter to the dyno next week. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a 20-year-later sort of level playing field. Not really, because they've all been driven differently and have different miles on them. <laughs> <laughs> yours has still, if you're still it has compression, I'm impressed. <laughs> I let it warm up before I tack it out. Come on. Anyway. It's a testament to that car, though. I, I'm curious. No, I'm no, curious the, where the, the power comes out. The fact that your car still runs is a testament to that car. And I'm not going to do a three-way drag race because my insurance company won't stand for that. And we don't have any three-lane, uh, three-lane places around here to do it. But yeah, Dino will be fun. Yeah, and the third part of that question is the Callaway was always just kind of the artsy one. I mean, they made all the special editions, the you know from the Speedsters to they use the DR1. I mean, they did all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, I've had my I've been lucky enough to be hands-on with most of them and. I mean, they were not during my mallet years, but I mean, right. actually now, re- recently. Yeah. But those cars are, I mean, they're just unique. I mean, you could put those on display in the center of anywhere and people will run to them. Right. Well, they, I think they did more too, right? So they have obviously the Callaway Sledgehammer, 
was the fastest quote unquote production car in the world. Yeah. And it, it like even the I think the Bugatti Veyron didn't that's, that's beat the, it no, twenty it years later. It did. It yeah, did, it okay. Did. But that, only that by was, a couple miles an that hour. That was the car that, that took its crown away. Right. Yeah. Um But the sledgehammer, I mean, can you imagine like I've been in that car, not like at speed, but I've been in that car. I moved it around. But I mean, it has factory Corvette seats with Simpson harnesses. I mean, it has factory dash. It does have, you know, some rollover protection, but I mean, the whole body's like bolted, you know, the body's bolted together so it doesn't, you know, explode at speed. But I mean, I can't imagine doing 256 miles an hour in that car. Like if you, you can go on YouTube right now, not right now, because when you're done with this, but you can go and there's, they still have the special on YouTube of the Callaway Sledgehammer and it's really good. Mm. Like, you know, like Goodyear had to make a special set of tires for that car to do 256. And they were a hundred grand, you know, supposedly. But it was just, I don't know, that's just a different era of car and, I don't know. Those were those were the super hyper cars of their time. Yeah. Yep. They're coming back now. Coming back. Um, all right. So back to this awesome Facebook Marketplace post. This this defines Corvette sellers to a T, but satirically. All right. Very rare. Limited production. I need to read this in the My Corvette is Best Corvette voice. Very rare. Limited production. 1983 Corvette C 3.5. This has been my baby. One owner since it was delivered to me new in late September 1982. Voted sports car of the year by Reader's Digest. 1983. <laughs> Does Reader's Digest even vote sports cars? I'd like to see that bill of sales, sir. Rare. Highly sought after. Crossfire fuel injection. That was 84. But, I mean, it was 83. It was the prototype. was Crossfire. Right. But it's not highly sought after. No, that was, that no, was you ripped main, that. That was the Achilles heel of the yeah, C4. That's why it didn't right. last. Couple to the infamous 4 plus 3 Doug Nash gearbox. All original matching numbers car. Great condition. There's normal wear and tear with minor leather repair needed due to medicinal all-natural alternative tobacco use. What? <laughs> I affectionately named the car Thomas, as in the train, because it drives like it's on rails. The current rubber setup is what I consider eco-friendly. I have regrooved the tires twice to extend the life, but they still have half tread left. What? Wait, 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 wait. Pause. <laughs> I regroove the tires twice? Does this dude have an 83 Kenworth? All parts and service was meticulously maintained by my own private mechanic. Only genuine GM parts were used in all repairs from the local pick-and-pull parts outlet. <laughs> Right down to the high-performance ceramic brake pads and shoes. <laughs> original fluids are intact, as well as the original oil and oil filter, with the exception of any that has dripped out over time. It, that's not out there. <laughs> yes, it is. What? I told you, it's a satirical listing. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Did you just now get this? No, I did, real? but... No, I got it, but I mean, that's just getting a little too deep and even... The sound system still sounds phenomenal. I've reconed the high-performance AC Delco speakers with cyanoacrylite and Kleenex due to general age and dry rot. The cassette player comes with a complimentary copy of Michael Bolton's Greatest Hits, Volume 6. Anyway. <laughs> that it dude smokes on. a lot of weed. He Good weed admitted he too. did. Yeah. <laughs> Why this is Michael Bolton. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite Michael Bolton song? Um, 
actually, that would be. I'm setting you up for an office space quote here. I know, and you but totally... I'm, I'm going to get one. I'm going to say it's. Oh man, what's those? What's those? Andy. While you think of Lonely it, Island? yeah, Lonely. Island. <laughs> I was thinking yeah, of that yeah. song. It's so good. The one where he's making fun of like you know Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> yep. Anybody <laughs> belts that out, and they just look at each other. What is the name of that? I think it's try to Captain it Jack Sparrow, I think, by Lonely Island. <laughs> Switchcast is brought to you by Boxcast. Boxcast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched Boxcast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, your wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, BoxCast is an easy, flexible live streaming platform for organizations and individuals. BoxCast is so easy, we're broadcasting this from a phone. Head over to switchcars.com slash BoxCast for your free trial. Again, it's switchcars.com slash BoxCast for your free trial. Nathan's Detailing is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Nathan's Detailing is a company in Cleveland, Ohio that provides mobile detailing services for individuals and dealerships. They also offer PPF and ceramic coating installations. With over 800 Google reviews and an impressive 4.9 star rating, Nathan's Detailing is the go-to shop for all of your detailing and protection needs. With Nathan's, convenience is key. Their mobile detailing technicians bring the power, water, and supplies to your home or work and detail your car on site. Check out the link in our description for free interior fabric protection or leather conditioning with your purchase. At Nathan's Detailing, this smiles for you. I'll bet you that point one that they didn't get was some family with a minivan with gum stuck to the back of the seat <laughs> so they didn't scrape off every little ounce of it. I guarantee it. You, sounds like you've been there. Oh, I've been there. Uh, my lack of, I think I'm at 4.8 for switch cars, but one of my single star reviews is from a guy named Blueberry Man. <laughs> Does he drive an 83 vet? <laughs> I don't know. Probably. Probably, but he five-starred the like KOA in Pennsylvania and then just like random restaurants like McDonald's and Cracker Barrel. Like he, he sounded like a guy that wore New Balance and, and drove an older C4 Corvette, but he was really not happy with me. And I don't know why, but we think, because he didn't leave an actual review, the guys think that it was this guy that showed up randomly one time and just wanted to look at all the cars and he was asking for prices on everything, including cars that were in the parking lot. And my wife's BMW M3 was out there. And he goes, oh, I like this. How much is this? And Matt was like, yeah, it's, it's not for sale. Oh, everything's for sale. You're a car dealer. He goes, no, it's, it's the owner's wife's personal car. It's, it's got to be for sale. No, it's, it's not You should have sold it to him. I, yeah, <laughs> I should have. That car was the worst friggin' percentage-wise, the worst financial investment ever. I paid nine grand i put seven into it and sold it for seven <laughs> it was awful oh the top didn't work it blew a head gasket like i'm thinking bmw m3 it's got to be reliable and 
No. What? No. I bought it from an engineer too. That. You're the first person ever to think that. An E36? Come on, it's the inline six. Hey, it, I didn't say it's not a stout car, but you just put old BMW reliability in the same sentence. Honda I, Civic, yeah. Forerunner, absolutely. All right, uh, Sable, you have a little bit of Porsche, Porsche nerd news for us. One about a pink color. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ruby Stone Neo is now on the Porsche. It's not a PTS color. It's just a, a premium color. Right. It used to yeah. be paint to sample. Now it's Well, Ruby Stone available. is still paint to sample. Ruby, Ruby Stone, Stone Neo, Neo is which not. Which I think is Ruby Stone. One's non-metallic. The other's metallic, right? No. I think I don't think they're either one metallic. I think just Ruby Stone Neo is just a tick brighter. It's gotcha. More, it's more... I, I think Neo might be a metallic, but if, if, if anyway, you're right. so it, it went from basically right. fourteen grand for pink to three grand for pink, thirty five hundred bucks or something. Yeah, well, it depends on the Amazing. model. It changes from model to model what it costs. You know what's probably going to happen is Porsche guys won't want pink anymore. I don't want it. it. I mean, that was because like the it's color. not paint to sample. That was the color I wanted. Now that probably every poser in the world is going <laughs> to spec their car that way. I'm exactly. Out. It's only only Porsche can raise the price of something and make it more desirable and lower the price and make it less. Actually, not only that's actually How a, a financial is everybody that principle. Just, just but did PTS, you know, like GT4 RS has been buildable for what six months now, and Ruby Stone was, uh, if you were lucky, PTS color. Right. And now, like you know, six months later, after all the VIPs order their cars and all the commoners and, can get it now. Yeah. Now you're like, ah, well, I'll just I'll just click the box now. <laughs> Oops. That's, that's now you're so going to have Porsche. people arguing about whether or not they have Ruby Stone or Ruby Stone Neo. But you, I'm sorry, it's Ruby Star because that's what it is in Germany. In Germany's Ruby Star. It sounds right. cooler that way. Yes. They look super similar. Well, you're looking at a, like a. Oh, well, yeah, it's the best I got. Yeah, well, I mean. But I was curious. You're looking at a drawing. That's a photo. Speaking of Germany and Porsches, no, that's Ruby. That's the that's the that's the original that's Ruby the Stone. Yes, both of them are. Yeah, Tyler's looking at air cool Porsches, which are Ruby Stone, no, which is what the color comes from. Yeah, but that's that's there. PTS color. That's not yeah, Neo okay. they just announced Neo. the new color. Um, speaking of Porsches and Germany, Shame talk to us about the the Nurburgring <laughs> time of the new GT3 RS. Six minutes fifty seven seconds. Right. I don't. It sounds like it's. Oh, anyway, it, it, it was it was ten seconds faster than the GT2 RS. Not that number. What did you say the number was? Six fifty-seven. No, no way. I mean the the nine nine two does six fifty-nine. Just the GT3 does six fifty-nine. Six forty-nine. Okay. Okay. Fastest Nasperly Ashford. I think the GT2 RS was like. 652 or something like that. Okay. So, so you know, three so, seconds with a pro driver on a... So why does it matter or not matter? It doesn't mean shit. I mean, it's cool bench racing when you're sitting at the bar talking to your buddies that, you know, my Civic Type R is the fastest front-wheel drive car on the, the, the ring. <laughs> Hold on, the what? <laughs> and, but, I, I mean, how do you pronounce that? But, like, <laughs> but let's be honest. Okay, there's very, very, very few people in the world that can get anywhere near that that time. 
Like, all right, Tyler, you're you're a good driver, decent driver, right? I'll go backwards a little bit, but. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. All right, thanks for it. Oh, but, but like, if I gave you a new GT3 RS and I'm like, all right, I want you to do eight seconds around the ring. Minutes. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, eight minutes around the ring. Dude, you, all day you couldn't get close. I'd be terrified. I'm terrified enough when I play it in like Gran Turismo well, or Project no, but Cars. That's my point. Like it's, God, that's my point. Like these guys that are doing it have 50,000 miles around the ring and they're absolutely stud drivers. I mean, Porsche went back with the GT3 RS because they weren't happy the first time they, they tried. Okay, so the argument can be made. I used to work at a Land Rover dealership, and we take people for test drives on the off-road track. And people would say, well, how is this relevant? And so we'd make the connection of, well, because they're engineered to do this stuff off-road, it makes it that much better when you encounter your little bump or your six inches of snow or whatever. And it was for the most part, true. Land Rovers were brilliant in any terrain. So the argument could be made that because the, the Nürburgring time is just a confirmation of the engineering of the handling Absolutely. prowess that they designed into it, and that's why people see it as a benchmark, and they say, okay, well, my 992 GT3 RS is better than your GT3 because of XYZ, and the Nürburgring time just confirms that. Right. Well, I mean, 100%. You're just proving that all that engineering time money is... The car's capable of it. But does it matter? Not really. I mean, it matters matters for marketing. Yes. Do you think any... Do you think any... Let's not even say average driver. You're a good driver. You've had a lot of time on the track in a bunch of different cars. mm -hmm. If you never go to a track, do you think you would be able to tell the difference between a 992... Or just any generation, GT3 RS and a base GT3. Yeah, I could tell the difference on that. Base GT3 versus RS? Yeah. Yeah, I could tell But the like actual that. handling performance difference, et cetera, et cetera. High speed corners, I mean, arrow rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, the new 992 has more arrow than the last generation's RS. So, I mean, not visually... But mechanically, it does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, again, if you're willing to drive the car to that last tenth, I mean, it all that all matters. But most, I mean, when I go to the track, but nobody I'm, is, I'm not, and especially I'm, yeah, not, not on the street. No, yeah, absolutely. Like, yes, correct. Okay, the, the average it's, driver probably. It's can't a heated tell. conversation because you 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 talk to all these people and they want to tell you how their car is so much faster than yours, but yet you know, on their way to Walmart to pick up toilet paper. You know, they apexed around a left-hand turn. You know, it's like, oh, great, thanks. Right. Well, I kind of experienced that. Like, I drove your 992 GT3 to dinner Mm -hmm. tonight. And I can appreciate it, but at the same time, it did no more for me than driving an 05 Boxster. Like, in my head, I know all it's capable of, but I'm like, this doesn't mean anything other than, one, to say I drove it to... Like, it, I, I need to drive it on a track, or I need to drive it in anger. And even then, I'm not sure I'll be Probably able spiritedly, to... spiritedly. Spiritedly, yeah. the car will wake up a little well, bit. You don't where, gonna... where on the street, though, am I going to drive 500 horsepower with that kind of engineering spiritedly? It's not old Corvette 500 horsepower. Like, yeah, you're you right. have to ring that car out so much to, to it's, really it's all, enjoy it's pretty it. pretty much a 10-second car. Yeah. I... 
I mean, this Vin is, Diesel would be proud. <laughs> you owe me a 10-second car. Uh, it's why I kind of lose interest in cars after 2012 is because I can't, like, I feel like that was the moment. Like, it was the Nissan GTR syndrome, right? So Nissan GTR yeah. was the first car to be, like, way too capable for the road. And then all the manufacturers followed suit well, and made these hero cars. Well, you know where my heart is. I like air-cooled classic Porsches. Or that's my favorite thing to go out for a drive. I mean, you know that. But, you know, GT3s have always been something that I've you know, wanted to own and luckily succeeded. But the new one, I'll admit, like you get it on a back country road and you don't have to destroy a speed limit, but the car is rewarding at that. You get a nice windy road with, you know, the nice signs with the squiggles on them. You know, it's the car is rewarding. You don't have to flex it in anger or all the way to 9,000 RPM to you know, enjoy that car. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. But you can. But, but you're not working nine. very hard. I mean, that's the other thing. You're, the car's letting you do it at, you know, you're not yawning, but it's not an old car with, you know, 195 tires that, you know, it's, you have to redline it to get it to, like Figgy. Figgy. <laughs> Tell us about Figgy. What is, what is Figgy? I have picked up a 1991 Nissan Figaro that I thought I would hate so much. It's like a one liter four cylinder turbo Japanese domestic market 80 right hand drive little city car. Yeah, it looks like it's from the 60s, but it's actually one year production of the 90s. And it is an absolute hoot to drive. I've had a lot of fun. This coming from a guy who owns a 992 GT3. Has had multiple Porsche GT cars, has Porsche air cooled cars, has driven everything under the sun. He's excited by it. It is. It's so much fun. Ratty Figaro. I I agree. I, it is I, ratty. I, too. I drove one down to Radwood, and I'm like, man, this is this is pretty pretty cool. When I picked it up and drove it home, I was like, oh man, I gotta drive this thing home an hour on the highway. I was like, I'm gonna be, I'm. It's actually gonna be scary. That thing at 65 miles an hour was no problem, except. For when I merged on the 176, you guys in California, that is in Ohio, but a mattress flies off the roof of a truck in front of me, and I was I saw it coming, I was, and this lady in an old Grand Marquis decides to stop in the middle of the highway. It wasn't even in front of her, but the mattress hit the front of her car. Did, I, do, did she come to a stop quickly for um, that mattress? Oh, yeah. So you could say she was betting in her brakes? That's lame. <laughs> no. But anyway, so yeah. so I'm in this little tiny figure of... I'm looking for a pun as soon as you said mattress. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm in this little tiny Figaro, and I'm just looking in my rearview mirror going, please don't get ass-ended. <laughs> like, if some dude takes me out 60 miles an hour, like, that's it. And if I do not want to die in a car, but if I do, it's not a Figaro. <laughs> <laughs> you can see the news story now. <laughs> You're trying to figure out how, oh, not, how oh. not to die in the car. Figaro. Oh, man. Um, they have to figure out how you died if that happened. Oh, I can't believe I stopped talking for that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
No, it's like when you're in cars like that on the highway, it's very, you become very aware of everything. When I was in the yeah, Pandos yeah. Roadster, was, every semi was a death sentence. <laughs> <laughs> All you want to do every is mosquito was yeah, a death yeah, sentence. Come on, like you get a You want to do the bird. coyote? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You jump underneath the semi truck, <laughs> pull back out. Oh, Oof. yeah. You hit a large bird in that thing. But it's but it's also concussion. fun to to you know I have a Honda Grom also. That is a, you know, it's modified, but it's a lot of fun. But I mean, it's fun to drive something flat out and not break the speed limit. Like, you know, you just get after it. You're like, oh, 35, sweet, you know. Speaking of slow, there's on a wholesale site I'm on, or some cars for sale site on Facebook, somebody listed a 1997 Ford F-250 7.3 liter power stroke, which I know is the engine to have, but it's slow, right? Mark Spence has one. I feel I drove one to Indiana and back. I feel like we need Spence here to, to Did sing. You, you guys the, sit three wide? Seven threes. Did you three wide it? Yes, we rednecked <laughs> it. We totally redneck bench. Who was in the middle? Aaron. Uh, anyway, some. so Ford F-250, crew cab, 7.3, power stroke, 85,000 miles. I'm like scrolling down. I'm like, man, this thing looks really clean. It was like old man tan or whatever. I'm thinking like 20, 25 grand, right? I had an OBS Suburban oh, that was beautiful. That. Yeah, you sent me that. What do you think it was listed for? $54,000. You just asked yeah, me. That was my response. What? what? And I was about to like, I, I was looking for all the laugh emojis and all the people it was like clicking, saying, though. you're insane. And everyone's like, nope, this is what they're going for. And I'm like, since when? That was a clean, it was like, clean though. I don't care. That picture was even shiny. Fifty-four grand oh, for a ninety-seven. It. it didn't like. It wasn't a ten thousand mile truck. No, I don't. A low mileage diesel is like a hundred thousand. Though I don't get it. How many miles were on it? Eighty-five thousand. Yeah, hundred thousand miles. I mean, that's low for what it is, but I, I. What is this world coming to? Some dude is ecstatic to own that. That's Mark Spence with a ton of money. It right is. There. Oh yeah, <laughs> like guaranteed. He wants that, but. <laughs> Oh, he wants it bad. <laughs> Golly. Spence, if you're listening, you know it's true. I'm expecting him to like Kool-Aid man through the wall at any second now. <laughs> Celebrity Machines is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. If you're looking for a gift for somebody you like or for garage art for your own place, check out celebritymachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST for a 25.39% discount at checkout. Again, Go to CelebrityMachines.com and use discount code SWITCHCAST. Again, that's CelebrityMachines.com. Use discount code SWITCHCAST. And it's not too early to start thinking about Christmas gifts, and those make great Christmas gifts. Halloween is over. We can talk about Christmas now. November 2nd. Yeah. I'm ready to put my lights up. All right, so we have a couple uh, older questions and a couple newer ones, and we're going to get to those now. So from, uh, I'm actually going to have you answer this, Sabo. 
No, you can't because you... I'm going to pose it and see what you think. So somebody asked me, Suleiman Matar, can you give me your reasoning as to why you went with a C5 rather than any other Corvette generation? In a sense, why is my Corvette best Corvette? You want me to answer that? Do you think the C5 I think is C5 a preferable? Is hands down the best bang for the buck you can get your hands on. Okay. I mean, you know, you can get, well, okay, market, so, mallet car in question. Yeah. I mean, for, well, I don't know, what's it listed at? Or did you 32 grand. All right, $32,000, you get a $90,000 Corvette from the 90s. If you do the inflation rate, that's a lot of money. Right, yep. But, I mean, that car has that car has 435 horsepower. I mean, it goes it goes really well. But, I mean, that's, I just, how do you beat that? You can get a, for 15 grand, you can get a nice C5 Corvette. Yep. It might have some miles, for but... For 10 grand, really... you can get a ratty C5. Right. If five grand, the 5 grand Delta <laughs> makes no, a huge no, difference yeah. in C5 world. You can get a Z06 <laughs> for, for probably... 25, 30. No, they're about 30-ish now. Okay, you know, 30, 35, 35 maybe. yeah. But that's a lot of car. And they're actually very nice to drive, too. You know, everybody complains about the seats. Change them. Who cares? Yeah. They're comfortable at they're the very, very least. Yeah. They're not performance-oriented, but they are comfortable seats. You can get 30 miles to a gallon on the highway... There's great cargo space. Uh, to me, truck. they're the best-looking modern vet. I, like, I think the C2 is the best Shoot. overall. Um, but, yeah, I, I like it better than any modern vet. And I have it, a friend that his father has, I think, a 99 automatic coupe mm-hmm. with 350,000 miles on it. Yeah. I mean... They're reliable. Yeah. They go forever. The, it was a turning point for Corvette, too, because it... The Corvette almost got canceled before the C5. And I have a nostalgic connection to the C5 because that was the car that was introduced when I was in, like, automotive puberty. So that <laughs> did it for me. That's funny. What? That's that's funny. I, mean, that's, no, I like that. It's a good way to do it. So, um, but so if C5's you haven't like read All Corvettes Are Red, the book about... You know, it was written by an embedded journalist when they were designing the Corvette in secret in the basement of the of GM. Like that makes a C5 really special. So I don't know. It, is it best Corvette? I don't know. Probably not. It's definitely not collectible. They made too dang many of them. But it's, yeah, it's, but that makes it's it the best car. Kind of awesome because you could always find one. Right. Nobody's gonna go drive a C1 or C2 other than to cars and coffee or. And Ice nobody, cream or whatever. Yeah, there's very few Corvettes that are like, "Oh, my car's a rare color." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 have special meets for rare colors of Corvettes. You know, it doesn't happen. Um, a question from Dave Thoman, a, a favorite listener of ours, good friend, Porsche guy. He said, "I'm looking to buy a used GTI for my son. Used ones are super close to new car prices, which makes it tough to justify a used one." How near are we to having the clear delta on dollars on new versus used cars? Nine months. So I, I want to unpack this a little bit. Right? So obviously he's talking about like yeah. two good years point. old or less. But this is not a new thing just in the last couple of years with COVID, right? So there was a phenomenon whereby franchise dealers, if you go into franchise dealers and try to buy a year or two old car it will be priced basically at the new car price. And they did that on purpose. That wasn't indicative of the total market. 
but they would get them in, they'd CPO them so they'd get the unit bonus, and then they price them at new car prices because that would help them. It was a sales tactic. It would help them sell new cars, and then they keep them for 60, 90 days, whatever, wholesale them out or reduce the price or sell them off somewhere else. But they would do that, and then they use that as a way to, to convince people to buy new cars instead. So it wasn't totally honest in terms of, well, this is what the used car price is versus the new car. If you went into a car dealer, you'd get that. But if you looked on the open market, that wasn't the reality of the situation. Because used cars depreciate 50% of their value in the first three years of their life. They haven't in the last two years. But they will, again, they are starting to... Um, and when the last two years, like if you walked into a dealer and you tried to make an offer on a car, they'd kind of snicker at you. Sure. They're like, oh, what do you mean? You know, they got 18 people waiting to buy this car. You're the special one. You were here first. Pay whatever we're asking mm-hmm. or please leave. You know, next year. And again, I'm not saying the market's going to shift like overnight, but don't be afraid to make an offer on a car. Right. Like if you see something on the lot that you think is overpriced, make an offer. I mean, you don't know, you know, they might just say, um, okay, can you pay for it today? Yeah. It is no longer a seller's market. It is a buyer's market. A hundred percent. Not a hundred percent, but it's it's, it's shifting. cars. It's shifting a little bit more where, you know, you go to, you drive by your local car lot now, there actually is used inventory. Right. And they will negotiate. So, you know, to answer the question, you know, if you want a primo used anything right now, you're going to have to pay a premium. If you find a low mileage example, yes, you're going to pay damn near new car pricing to get it. You know, if you want, um, we call it deal, go back a generation. Yeah. Um, you know, because that's the ones that people don't, not say they don't want, but they're less desirable as the new car. Right. You'll get, you know, a five-year-old car for 50% of what a new car costs. Right. But it's going to be relative to the new, new car pricing. Because one of the reasons used and new cars were so close in price is because inflation hit the used cars immediately because they reacted to the the market conditions. But it took a while for new car dealers to mark up their cars accordingly. So it's like used cars will depreciate from the new standard of pricing. But that standard went up so much that like used cars aren't necessary. The, the delta isn't going to be made by used cars going down in price. Well, it's going to be raising MSRP by, massively. Right, by new cars going up in price. The and that's going to be the new delta. The 992 GT3 from when it was launched to right now has gone up 9000 Yeah. Just base price. Not in the options. They screwed those a little bit. but That's not that bad of a deal. I think a Honda Civic probably went up that much. Right. <laughs> but I mean, it, but no, mo- most people didn't see that. Yep. They just don't know because they're, they don't really care what the number is. They just pay it. Yep. So, you know, Porsche jumped in and just raised the MSRP. Yes. Tyler, do you have questions for us? Yeah, I've got one for you. Let me get her up. All right. Love is Greater Than Hate uh, asks, what's the story on ZL1s and 1LEs? GM has only made less than 4,000 of these cars for all years combined, whereas Porsche churns out more GT cars in one year. They're also, both of those, the ZL1 and 1LE, are also a Nürburgring legend. What are your thoughts? Those cars are fantastic. Yeah. They're really great cars to yeah. drive. I'll never own one because I can't own a Camaro and because I can't see over the dang yeah. hood line because I'm short, but 
That's one thing that the journalists actually nail. The sight lines on those cars are pretty rough, but everything else is pretty brilliant. I but mean, they are on a, a Mustang, too. Any no, new Mustang not. feels so no, big. No, no, sight lines as in, like, window. Like, you jump in a Camaro, the windows are shallow. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm talking sight lines of visibility, mm-hmm. not as in, like, over the front bumper. Like, a Mustang feels smaller when you drive it than a Camaro, in my opinion, at least. But, you know, I tend to lean more towards Team Mustang than I do Team Camaro, but that the, those two mentioned are absolutely fast. I actually have a funny story on that. I had a guy that I did track days with that he always showed up with a GT3 RS all the time. And then one day he shows up with a Camaro, you know, the, the best one he could possibly get. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, wh- why, would you, why would you get this? He goes, one, it's, it's as fast. Two, if I put it in a wall and I fix it, some redneck will still pay full dollar amount for it. <laughs> if, I put my, if I put my GT3 in a wall, everybody in the world is going to just destroy that car's value. Yep, including me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll post on GT Vault. All right, so I, this, is, this is a good one. This came in as uh, through Instagram. It was uh, advice on a car, and it's a photo of an NSX parked outside in the California sun, totally sunbaked kind of just rotting two-tone it was like we saw that one in in jacksonville beach when we were down for amelia island we kept walking by and there's an nsx just just dying outside it was melting into the concrete all right so it's it's a 1991 first year uh both seats need to be redone Sixty-eight thousand miles i'm gonna see if you see if you catch this or not it says power steering is out it doesn't have power steering ah you got it well you didn't ask the right question though you said 91. I know. Is it a manual or automatic? I did. You just, I just, you said catch that. Right. No, I know. Power, okay. What? So they said the power steering is out, but <laughs> it's a manual car, so it has manual steering. The automatics did have power steering. Oh, okay. I, well, yeah, I never that paid was, attention to Sorry, those. that was the, 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 it was a 5,000 option. Moment. Anyway, so it's a, a stick shift NSX. They said the power steering is out, but. Joke's on you. There is no power steering, so that doesn't need to be fixed. But anyway, so they went to his door and offered him twenty grand. Okay. And he laughed and told him to get out and said he was going to have his dogs pee on the person. <laughs> That's just violent. That's quite the response. But it was. It, they said it was a typical I know what I have situation. The guy said it was worth fifty grand, and he was going to get it appraised. I don't know why you would appraise a, a rotting NSX. But what do you think? A 91 NSX with 68,000 miles. Now, granted, the market went crazy high last year on those, and it's come back. What would you pay for a car that's in need of a cosmetic restoration? Probably need, has some mechanical needs, but those are cheap on NSXs. Mm-hmm. You know, timing belt, water pump is a couple grand. Um, what would I pay for that car? Yeah. 70,000 miles, first year. I mean, needs a cosmetic resto. I can smell it from here. <laughs> Was the person who offered twenty k or the guy who wanted fifty k? Which I, one? That's of right. Them is, right, is in the, right in the middle more, is probably the number. Like probably thirty, thirty, thirty-five grand. It's like almost it starts, runs, and drives, and it's not literally, you know, brake, you know, lot rot rotors and stuff like that. Thirty, thirty, thirty-five grand would be an okay buy on that. Right. 
I would 50 seems insane. No, I wouldn't touch it for 30, 35 grand, to be honest with you, because I know what it takes to bring those cars back to life when they're rough. But I mean, because you can buy a good one for 60. Right. You know, with 100,000 miles on it. I would just rather have that car. It'd be a good basis for a track car or somebody doing a wide body or supercharging or or whatever and just leave the patina and, you know, cool story. But if you want to do a color change, sure. Actually, red's a bad color change, but yeah. You paint it Ruby Stone Neo. <laughs> oh, inside joke if you've been uh, listening the whole time. All right, back to back to you, Tyler. All right, Edwin F. Jr. asks, what are your go-to car sites to shop as a broker? Uh, honestly, I don't look at sites that often. I make phone calls. We have a couple dealer network sites, and they vary in how useful they are, but it's a lot of groundwork, um, relationships, phone calls, texts, because it's not so much about finding the car. It's about finding the right car. And I need to know the person I'm buying the car from and know that I can trust them. So I have a small network of people that I reach out to more often than not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's taken years to build that up though. True. So, I mean, if you were going to start from ground zero and you wanted to, you know, cut your lawn real nice and start putting cars on it. I mean, you, you know, Facebook Marketplace is what everyone serves all day. Not me, but a lot of people. Facebook Marketplace, like I said, Craigslist, because you you can search your region and buy cars. Yeah, you don't need to, you know, hire a hauler and go pick it up in California. You can just go buy stuff locally. The key is you have to buy from a private party because rarely, if ever, are you going to get a car from a dealer with something left on the table if you're trying to do it for anymore. A flip. Yeah, anymore. yeah. Yeah, occasionally. Right now, dealers are in trouble because a lot of them have paid way up for cars that they can't unload. But they can't sell them either because they have floor plans. So they can't afford to sell them for true wholesale because they can't make the gap, the spread Mm -hmm. between what they owe on on their floor plan and what they'll get for it. So it's, it's a really interesting scenario right now in the car world. We might see some dealers go belly up and, and get repoed on. I I shouldn't have grinned when I said that, but I'm okay with over leveraged dealers getting a, getting a little bit of pain. Got one more for us, Tyler? Yeah. All right. Eric A. They say all season tires are not the best, but what is are your thoughts on all weather tires? For your average driver or car, would you recommend winter uh summer tires or go with a good all quality weather tire? All weather tire. Ugh. So I think asking, do shoot, kind of should you switch question. on my, a normal car? My saying always is all-season tires are three-season tires. Mm-hmm. Um, they're either good below freezing or they aren't. And that's because um, compound is more important than tread. Uh, compound is designed to work at certain temperatures. And all-season tires usually are not designed to work below freezing. Um or at least be optimal. You can't optimize for both warm and cold conditions. If you drive so, an all-season car, don't be afraid of all-season tires. Well, that's know. my thought. I've got all-seasons on my it's my Volvo, but like yeah. it's been great. In I the mean, snow, if you could afford but, snow tires in like we live in a snow belt, so I mean, if you go two hours south, you don't you technically don't need them. But you know, snow tires are made of a rubber compound that doesn't freeze till negative thirty. 
an all-season tire at 30 degrees turns into a rock. Yeah. So, I mean, that's when tread really does matter if your compound's not, you know, up to par. Right. So, I mean, you drive around. the compound matters more. Compound's very important. Because I've driven slicks in snow that had better uh, grip than full tread tires. Okay. Uh, That's fine. Hand on the Bible. I've done it. No, I mean, the difference is huge because I've got some uh, Continentals, I think, on my Volvo that are amazing in the snow. There's some crap on my 968 that I still haven't replaced yet. I could not drive that in the snow. It did not have any grip. I mean, you saw I was sure. sliding around. You drive a sports car on in the snow, you got to drive. You got to get snow tires. Yes. Oh, yeah. My 911 with snow is amazing. Yeah. I just, my perspective is you use the best tool for the job. So you get summer tires for the summer, winter tires for the winter. Because summer tires won't give you the, the proper grip in the winter. And winter tires will wear prematurely in the summer. And different all-season tires are geared differently. Some are geared more towards summer performance with a little bit of grip in the winter and other ones. Like, I think the best all-season I've used is a Continental Extreme DWS because those seem to be really good in the winter and still okay in the summer. But I wouldn't take a corner hard in the summer on a DWS because they're they're garbage. They're too soft. The thing I always tell clients is, all right, if you buy winter, again, we're talking about northern situations here, but if you buy snow tires, you're really not spending any more money if you're keeping that car for four or five years because you'd be buying two sets of tires anyway. You're going to wear a set out. So if you just, you know, half season, you know, if, if you run snows in the winter and your summer tires are all seasons in the summer or whatever season, I mean, you're gonna, it's going to take you, unless you puncture, or get a flat, I mean, it's gonna, they're going to last you four years unless you drive a tremendous amount of miles. Yeah. In theory, it should you're last just, You're just front-loading the, the cash. Yep. And you're paying to swap them out every year. Yeah. That, but you that should, can add up. Theoretically, you should balance your tires every year anyway, especially if you live in Pothole True. City like Cleveland, Ohio. True. All right. Well, that just about wraps it up. Thank you for the questions. Thank you for the discussion, Sabo. Uh, we're moving on to the props and flops brought to you by Switch Cars. Switch Cars is the enthusiast's dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. Check out our handpicked inventory at switchcars.com. Our pick of the week from Switch Cars inventory is, take a guess, Sabo. Stoddard Collection. No, it's the Mallet 435 because Sabo sourced it for us. Very thankful for that. And so, of course, it's our pick of the week. And I just can't stop staring at it because that, that's that, pretty stance the the penske shocks that the ride height with the 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 what did they call the mallet gold whatever fixie wheels unbelievable such a cool it's got mini tubs it's got mini tubs it's got three three thirty fives in the back yes fresh continentals by the way yeah the uh, the last time i had a mallet 435 with mini tubs i could not find a tire viper size i could not it wasn't available so you should thank your lucky stars that they have new tires on them. So anyway, the flop of the week comes all the way from my home state of Maine. Maine is recalling 400 plus obscene and offensive license plates. Now, the reason this is relevant is because Maine had zero filter. There was no approval process for vanity plates in Maine. So you got some real oh, friggin' I, I sent you that winners. picture of that one. Yeah. There's a good yeah. Instagram. I don't even want to say it. Rat bastard. 
It's like Vanity of Maine or whatever. Yes, Vanity of Maine is a great Instagram page to follow to to get these plates. Uh, but it, I, I guess Maine finally cracked down and said, okay, we're not going to endorse this. Uh, uh, some people have said, wow, that's it's violating First Amendment. And this has come up before. And um, the free speech thing kind of goes out the window when it is a government issued plate. It is not your speech. Like you're literally paying them to print something like that doesn't come into play. Like free speech is you putting a bumper sticker on your car. You can still put F you on a bumper sticker in Maine. You just can't have it on your plate. And there is somebody with that plate. Like somebody in Maine's license plate says I eat ass. Yep. No, it's a 55. They could just not like the speed limit. <laughs> it might be a main thing, Doug. <laughs> well, it was probably because I eat ass was already taken, honestly. <laughs> the, the, well, there I, are a lot of I heard, wacko license plates. I did hear that, that. I heard that California is actually dropping their censorship of license plates. Like they're they're going to let you put whatever you want now, That's, which, which I, I have a hard I, time believing I don't that. believe that. Yeah. Maine is like the last bastion of, of redneck freedom. Yeah. Anyway, uh, prop of the week, the Federal Trade Commission cracks down on the passport chain of dealers charging junk fees. Now, this has been a little while in the making. The Federal Trade Commission has been uh, working on a number of laws to regulate dealers, both in the finance uh, department uh, and with the junk fees. Uh, And I think a lot of people will be happy about this. But we're not just talking about your regular dock fee. I know a lot of people don't like dock fees at a dealer, but they charge them for a reason. And they do go to things like your registration and title fees and stuff that is, you know, the government charges the dealer. So the dock fees aren't going away, but there are dealers I've seen bill of sales where there was like 12 to 15 different fees in addition to the dock fee. And they made absolutely no sense, and they added up to thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, environmental fees and, you know, tire shine fees and undercoating Mm -hmm. and, you know, paperwork preparation and then the license fee and then the license handling fee and just random stuff like that. Well, um, there were some dealers that came under real fire from the FTC and got some fines and got in real trouble for that. So I'm glad that the shady dealers are, are getting some, some regulation. So, um, anyway, we are, uh, we are, it is time to wrap it up. We out. We are, we are almost out. If I can find the out, outro music, I'm, I'm trying to segue here, not doing it very smoothly, but, um, <laughs> here we go. Sabo, thank you for being back with me tonight. It's always fun to hang out and talk cars with you. Appreciate your insight. Appreciate all of you being with us tonight and sharing your questions and keeping us entertained by the stuff that you send us. Uh, We wouldn't be here without you. Uh, Thank you to our sponsors, BoxCast, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, Stephen Holm Woodworking, and Nathan's Detailing, and to our producer, Ethan Huffnagel. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available Friday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. And by the time you're hearing this in audio format, the Starter Collection will be live on Bring a Trailer. So head over there and bid on some oddball micro cars. And not micro cars also. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. as we look forward to edifying, educating, and entertaining you on the drive of your life.